You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. We are going to be in the Bible today, so that's right. We're going to be in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Whether you uh, don't have one or maybe you want the ESV, which is what I'm going to be preaching out of this morning, what we use here. Uh, if you want one, raise your hand. If you need sermon notes, raise your hand. If you need a pen, raise your hand. They will take care of you. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. And uh, all right, we are in our our series, Come and Believe, we've been walking through the book of John, and, and right now, today, we're kind of finishing up the, the first really big chunk and section of John. And um, what we've seen all along is John's purpose for writing his gospel account is what we say, come and believe, come and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, right? And thankfully, John was nice enough to actually write what his purpose was. And so just reminding us, in, in John 20, verse 31, he says, But these, all these things, all these accounts, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so uh, as we finish out this section, we're going to be in John 12, 37 through 50, and that's going to close out chapter 12. And so we're going to get into that in a few minutes, but I just want to remind us of kind of what we've seen. One of the themes repeated in John is this idea of Jesus showing them, Jesus telling them that he is God. He is God incarnate. He's here, and, and he's shown a miracle after miracle. And even though he continues to do this, they still don't believe. And unfortunately, like that is a theme that we have to deal with. Um, but as we kind of peel that back today, we're going to see like this is the last part of his public ministry. Right? After this, we're going to see a change in John's account. But um, before we get too far into it, I want us to read today. So if you've got your Bible, open it up. Make sure you're on John 12, verse 37, and we're going to read together. So verse 37 starts, Though he had done, Jesus, so many signs before them, they still did not believe, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for Isaiah again said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but... For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that has been spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is God's word for God's people. So as we look at this, this brings out what our main point is today. It's kind of a two-part. It's Jesus continues to offer grace despite unbelief. Again, I hope you're taking notes. Jesus continues to offer grace despite unbelief. Despite this pattern, this theme that we've seen of him laying out the truth and people not following and believing. This is, a, you know, it, it starts, we look at these verses uh, as we close out his public ministry and, and we see that he refers to a prophecy, a prophecy that unfortunately is fulfilled through the lack of belief, the, the continued unbelief of the people. And then we have this final proclamation. And that final proclamation is, is by Jesus, and, and it's marked by his patience and grace, right? Despite the unbelief, just his invite, invitation, his invite again into that community is, is marked by his grace and his patience. So we're going to dig in uh, and, and kind of, like they say, unpack this a little bit more. So let's... Uh, let's Look at verse 37, and that'll bring us to our first point, that unbelief comes from a hard heart. And so as we start looking at, at verse 37, it's funny because it says he did so many signs. Like John's just making sure that we know like there's been an abundance of signs, of miracles, and they still would not believe. They didn't believe, even though he had continually done these signs. And, and, and with that, it was the, the fulfillment of this prophecy by Isaiah, right? And, and, and so this first quote in here by Isaiah is actually out of uh, Isaiah 53. And what we're, we're told is like just what we saw. The Lord, who has believed, they haven't believed, even though they've seen the arm of the Lord, the power of God, like he's saying, look, this is fulfilled just by their unbelief again. They were told of the power. They were shown the power. And still their hearts wouldn't believe. And, and then the second quote by Isaiah, you know, in 39 and 40, it talks about this. It is actually a quote from Isaiah 6. And I will tell you just up front, like, Isaiah 6 is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. I love it. Maybe you're familiar with it if you've been around the church for a while, if you've been in the Word. Like, this is one of those ones that kind of jumps out at you. It's the one where Isaiah comes into 
like he's moved into the throne room of God. He sees the holy glory of God. And his response is, oh no. Right? You ever feel that? When, when you're confronted with the holiness of God and you feel like, oh no? You, you're revealed, right? What we talked about last night, the, the light shines in and just shows everything. And Isaiah has a good response. He humbles himself. He repents. And, and then God atones his sin in that moment. And then God says, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, making the only choice you could do after that moment, right? He says, here I am, send me. And most of the time, we like to stop reading at that point, because that's awesome. Sees the glory of God, responds well, he's at- his sins are atoned for. But what we don't see is, is the rest of that chapter is this commissioning that this quote is taken out of, where God says, hey, go, go tell them about me. Go, go tell them that they need to turn and come back to me, but... I'm going to blind their eyes, and I'm going, to, I'm going to plug up their ears. I'm going to make them deaf to the message, and I'm going to harden their heart so that they will not turn. Great ministry opportunity, right? Hey, go preach. Nobody's going to listen. It's just going to make it worse for each and every one of them. They're like, nope, nope, nope. And then Isaiah says, how long do I got to do it, Lord? God says, you just keep doing it. There will be desolation, like just no life, and you just keep going. And, and it's funny, I, I could just, I, I love that passage, I could get in there, but we need to focus on and stick to what this means for us this morning, the impact of this text for us, and that is specifically dealing with this unbelief due to the hardness of heart. He says, He blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and he would heal them. He would take that heart of stone and he would make it alive. So to have this discussion, because this can be a touchy subject for people, right? This idea of hardening hearts. Why would God harden their heart? We have to come and set a biblical kind of foundation, a biblical perspective and understanding of what this is about. And so to do that, we need to start from the same position. We need to start really from the beginning, right? The, the hardening of hearts does not start. It never starts from a neutral heart. Like the heart isn't just like, hey, I'm kind of in between and I might go this way, I might go that way. We, we see that throughout uh, redemption or redemptive histories from the fall, Right from that original sin, that the hearts are already hard. They're dead. They're 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 hard, and they need to be healed. And time and time again, throughout history, in throughout John, we we see this repeated. Even though the offers are made, believe, come to me. I'll give you eternal life. I'll I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll breathe life into that heart. They. They just harden more and more. So hardening of hearts doesn't start from a neutral place, and and God doesn't do anything that isn't already in place. These are hearts that won't follow. They won't submit. They won't allow Jesus to be Lord of their life. 
And all people, all of us, deal with that. Since the fall, there is not one heart that is neutral or, or starts in a positive. It is always hard. We're by nature depraved. Right? We're by nature in rebellion against God and the things of God. We, apart from Christ, there's no possible way we will always be unbelieving and rebellious. We, we kick and fight against God's mercy, saying that we don't want a bunch of controlling rules. We ignore the Creator and worship creation because it fulfills our own selfish desires. These are examples of hard hearts. Our rebellious is evident in, in, in the fact that we look for loopholes in the commandments so that it'll work for what we want instead of submitting. Even our speech is rebellious, and it's something I hear so much nowadays, but every single OMG is an act of rebellion against the glory of God and His name. We're using it in a, in a way that's careless. It's vain, is what it called. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. It's out of a rebelliousness. It's out of our nature. It's out of a hard heart. So we start from that place. And at best, we're kind of like what the Old Testament says, the, the stiff-necked people. Like the, the image of that is, is the donkey, that stubborn donkey that the master's trying to pull to make him go where he wants. And that donkey's just stiffening up, and he's not going anywhere. For me, it's actually my dog, Buck. He, he does the same thing. He ain't going stiff-necked, right? So at best, we're stiff-necked, and at worst, we're in open rebellion. We're enemies of God. We are despising God because of our desires and what we think is right and wrong. To put it another way, we think that we would run things better if we were God. So we also see this in other people around us. Like, if, if you're not looking in yourself and going, eh, I can see that a little bit, or I see where I was. As a believer, if you've ever talked to somebody and tried to share the gospel, and there's a moment where it becomes uncomfortable and you can see the hardness in people's eyes. Anybody ever experienced this? Their eyes go hard. It's like the door shut, I'm done listening. Or, or maybe you're, you're talking with somebody you know, and, and you say the name Jesus, and all of a sudden their body stiffens up. It's just an outward demonstration of this hard heart. But it also happens with believers, right? As, as we see somebody who's walking towards darkness, who's dabbling in sin, or maybe there's a sin that is really impacting their life, and we try to move them towards a biblical truth that they don't want to hear, they get hard on us, right? The, the conversation gets hard. There's friction. They don't want to hear it. So they're, in all those instances, hardening their own heart against Jesus. Now, uh, one more great example is as we go back to the Exodus, right? Pharaoh. The, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, as, as God tells Moses, hey, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, but I'm going to harden their, his heart, right? 
But in the process of the plagues coming through, we see this repeated instance where the first five plagues, there's a statement about Pharaoh that either his heart was hard or he hardened his own heart. And that statement, his heart was hard, meant that it was already and it's ongoing. So in five plagues, there's that. His heart's already hard and he's hardening it up. And so after that, God, in the next one, hardens his heart. He's, he's giving him over to his own rebelliousness, his own depravity. And instead of that realization, oh no, in the next plague, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There, there was no turning. There was just a continuation. And then the last three plagues, God continued to harden his heart. He, he turned him over to his own desire, what he knew that he would refuse and would not follow. And so God kind of cemented and hardened his heart. And at the end of it, we think maybe his heart got softened up because he relents, right? He lets the people go. But that wasn't actually out of a, a softening of heart or, or desire to follow God because immediately he realizes, oh, no, I let all my slaves go. Let's go get them. And it just shows us that those who have this, that hard heart that it cannot be changed, it, it's because it started that way and their desire is for that eternally. But God, right? But God being rich in mercy, the great love with which he loved us, he made a way for that hard heart, that heart of stone to be broken, to be softened. He sent Jesus. And through Jesus' great love for us, he can break through that stony heart. Now, it's interesting I want to come back to this text really quick. It's interesting that if you listen to what I said and what John reads right here, John left something out. Right? In Isaiah 6, it says, I'm going to blind their eyes, I'm going to make them deaf, and I'm going to harden their heart. But John only talks about, I'm going to blind their eyes and harden their hearts. And so as I was reading this, I was wondering, like, why did he leave out the hearing? And it could be that John was just trying to focus in on they have seen the miracles, and yet their heart was still hard. But then as I'm reading through Jesus' uh, last public declaration, I just hear the word again, like, my word, listen to me, hear me, believe. And I wonder if he's like, man, just calling out that there is still opportunity for a softened heart. As Jesus uses his word, as he is the word, as we get to declare his word and the gospel, that maybe they would turn and believe and their heart would be softened. There's still a chance. There's always a chance. I want to remind you of how Ezekiel says it. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. God, God's declaring through Ezekiel, he says, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. A heart of stone is dead, right? And he says, I'm going to remove that and give them life. I'm going to give them a, a heart that is soft, that is beating. 
So what do we do with all this hardness of heart? Uh, just I remember coming to faith later in life, like I remember my heart was stony. Like, and then when Jesus came, which I never thought would happen, and changed me, I remember like wondering, like, what's going on? Because I would just start crying, <laughs> right? I'd just start crying at the things of God. I'd cry for those things that were just overwhelmingly wonderful. And that was that soft heart. That was the first time I realized it. And I was like, man, this is different. It's crazy. So what do we do with the idea of a hard heart, with a callous heart? Well, we have to have faith that God can and will change those hearts. Because I don't know about you, I've been praying for people for a long time that I love who have a hard heart. Those people that when I say Jesus, their eyes get hard. And I've been praying and praying. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep praying. Because I know that God can. Until their last dying breath, he can change that hard heart. He can save them. We, we should be like Isaiah. If, if you look at verse 41 in our text, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He's talking about Jesus. When he came into the throne room, he saw the glory of Jesus. And all he could do was talk about him. And as we speak life, as we speak the gospel into people, and pray for them to be changed. God can work that out. So I just want to encourage you, even if it's been decades, keep praying and believing. Now, this kind of, we've seen this unbelief from a hardness of heart. Hopefully, we have an understanding of that idea of hardening. So let's talk about our next point in the text, and that is that weak faith comes from a fear of man. Weak faith comes from fear of man. And this is really called out in these next two verses, right? It says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so, they would, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory of man that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This, this starts with, Nevertheless. And it's saying, despite what we've been talking about, despite this hardness of heart, despite this unbelief, even into what we talked about last night, this, this idea of a judgment that's, that's been brought down on us, even though it's not executed yet, this judgment and unbelief, nevertheless, even though they've seen all these signs and some didn't believe, nevertheless, many believed. Many believed, even those of the authority. And so these authorities would have been the Sanhedrin, right? The, those leaders, that group we talked about before, the council. And, and so there's this idea that even among them, many believed. Even among the group that was convicting Christ, who was scheming to kill him, there was people in that group that believed. And in here we get a but. 
And unfortunately, it's not the but God. But for fear. Because of fear, there was no action from these men. Because of a fear of man, says they, they would not confess Jesus as king. They wouldn't witness for Christ among this group. It, it would cost them too much. It would cost them their comfort, their position, power, their lifestyle. It says they believed, they won't confess. And in Romans 10, 9, it talks about our salvation. There's kind of these two parts that always go together. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And so even if they believed in their heart, these guys would not confess Christ as Lord. And it's, it's fine because what were they afraid of? They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And we might go, well, you know, there's people nowadays, it's like, well, I'm going to go to this church, and then I'm going to go to that church, and if they put me out, I'm going to go over here. But that isn't like this cultural setting. To be put out of the synagogue, like that you're losing your identity, because to be ethnically Jewish was to be religiously Jewish, and to be basically excommunicated, put out of the synagogue, meant that you were outside of your people. You were... You're an outcast. You're outside of civil society. You would be shunned. You would lose status. The culture would hate you. You'd be canceled. Sound familiar? A culture that will cancel you because of your confession of Christ. For them to be put out of the synagogue would make them like the prostitutes and tax collectors who Jesus was hanging out with. And it's this idea of fear of man. And I don't know about you, depending on where you are in your faith, like um, when I came to faith, this is not something I'd ever heard, this term, fear of man. Like outside of religious circles, I don't think it's really talked about that much. And so when I heard it the first time, I was like, fear of man. I'm afraid of people. And I was like, mm-mm, I ain't scared, right? Nah. But what it really is is I'm afraid of what people think of me. I'm afraid of what people will say about me. I'm afraid to lose affirmation from people. I'm afraid to lose approval from people. This is placing our affirmation and approval on those around us horizontally before our vertical approval from God, the only approval that really matters. Now, these people were idolatrous. This fear of man is, is an idol because you, the way you feel about me now becomes my God. It controls my life. I think through a process of what will you think to make me feel like I'm approved. Now, it's not always a, a person, but it is the approval of, right? It, it's those areas of our life where I'm, I'm worried more about what you say than what God tells me. And this is summed up right there in verse 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man 
more than the glory that comes from God. It's really a form of prideful self-focus. And when we think of prideful self-focus, we can think of the guy who's really puffed up. He thinks a lot of himself, and he wants you to kind of feed into that. But it's also those who think lowly of themselves and just need somebody to approve them, affirm them, make them feel good, and they're looking at the wrong place. But whatever it is, these people love the glory of man from man more than the glory of God. And there's two men in particular that we know from the scripture that fall into this category, these guys who are the authorities and refuse to confess Christ. And one is Nicodemus. So if you remember back in John 3, Nicodemus is the guy who came at night, right? Wasn't willing to come in the, in the daylight, but he came at night and he, he would confess, Jesus, you are a teacher from God. I, I, I need you to teach me, even though he was a teacher of Israel. And what did Jesus say? He said, you have to be born again. You have to be regenerated, made new, brought to new life through the Spirit, not through the flesh. And then Jesus gave him that wonderful summary of the gospel, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. And so Nicodemus had all this, and he went back to the council, and we see here that he's not confessing Christ. He believes, he knows that it's true, but he will not confess. The other one that we know of from this group is Joseph of Arimathea. Right? We even sing songs about him sometimes, like they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. This guy. And, and he's there, and he won't confess why Christ is alive and in his midst, but later he will come and ask for Jesus' body after he's been crucified, after he has been killed, and then he will take him and lay him in his tomb. But in this moment, he won't confess. Now, listen, this, like, this is something that I think we all struggle with. I struggle with. Like, I want you to like me, right? I love y'all. I, 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 this is a huge part of my life is, is being able to minister and pour out and just be in community with you. I love you. And if I'm not careful, I can become idolatrous because I think all of us deal with this. We want to be loved. We want to be affirmed. We want people to like us. But I'll tell you, you cannot be my primary reason. Because if you are my primary reason for doing what God has called me to do, I will fail miserably. I will fail you, and I will fail my God. So I need to stay focused on Jesus, on his mission, on his glory, and what he is telling me to do. And that's the same thing each of us needs to do. We need to kind of go, you know what? I don't care if the world cancels me. And I don't care if you like me as long as I'm preaching the gospel and telling you the truth and pointing you to Christ, praying that he's going to change your heart. We can't live a life consumed by fear of what others think of us. But it's hard, right? Let's be honest. Like, that's a hard thing. It's just in us. It's hard to acknowledge that, like, I, 
I really put a lot of stock into what you think. But we don't want to live with a weak faith. We don't want to be the one who in the moment doesn't confess Christ. So we've seen an unbelief from a weak faith, and we've talked about just the hardness of heart, and that's causing unbelief. And now we're going to get into this summary that Jesus makes of his public ministry. And this is important for us because, like I said earlier, this is kind of the last statement. After this, Jesus is with his disciples, with the 12, or, you know, the 11. Um, and then he's on trial, and then he's crucified. He is in the tomb. He is raised to life. And after he is raised, he isn't preaching to everybody. He is seeing those who would believe. And then he ascends into heaven. And so this is that last of his time on earth, public proclamation of who he is, that invitation to come and believe. And so this brings us to our third point, and that is Jesus came for us to have eternal life. Came for us to have eternal life, and and we'll see that as we, we get to read through this again. But I want us to know that, like, this, we've heard every single thing that he said in this next passage. Probably not just once, but repeatedly through John. He, he's, he's getting ready to depart this world, and he's, he's going to say this right on the heels of things that might feel a little bleak for us. Like last, night, last week, we are talking about judgment, right? The judgment on those who would not believe that's coming It's already been declared, but it's not executed. And then this week we're talking about unbelief and hardness of heart and these people that won't confess, and it can seem pretty bleak. But John is reminding us of something that is greatly encouraging, that Jesus came for us to have eternal life. And in the words of Christ, as he lays this out again, we get to see that that invitation is constant. He constantly gives us that grace despite our response. This is impossible apart from him. Right? Even us sitting in here together talking about Jesus is impossible apart from him. We have sinned against an eternally holy God and the right just punishment is eternal judgment. And here Jesus is giving and repeatedly gives eternal life. Despite us, despite the unbelief, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to bring us out of darkness into his light. And so as we look at this part of the text, I want us to keep two things in mind. One, very last act of public ministry by Christ on the earth, right? And then two, Jesus is summarizing his entire public ministry in this proclamation. It's already been said. He's just summing it up. He's going, hey, kind of like remember all these things. And so with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through, and then we're going to touch on a few points. It says, and Jesus cried out and said... Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, 
believes not in me, but the one who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that has been spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself made me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Do you see that repeated, like whoever, like I've been telling you this and it's your chance, come, receive that eternal life, that commandment. So he reiterates this over and over. And what we see, like I said, this has all been somewhere else. And so what I got is a chart that has just a quick cross-reference. And I would encourage you, go back through and think through those points and see where else he said it. Because I just picked one and there's many more. But we see in verse 44, right, the idea of he who hears and believes gets eternal life. Verse 45 is he who looks upon the Christ, who who sees me. If you believe, you get eternal life that the Father brings. Uh, Just jump over really quick to John 1 because I love the next one. In 46, he talks about being the light. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Just like he's saying right there, I I came as light, that you wouldn't remain in darkness. 47 talks about how he came not to condemn the world. 48, that that part about on the last day, in, in, in verse... Uh, chapter 6, verse 39, it talks about the Father's will is to lose none, that he would raise them all on the last day. And verse 49 is from John three sixteen and 17. It says, again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whomever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that it might be saved through him. Even with all the disbelief, even with all the hardness of heart, even without the the conviction to confess Christ as Lord, he continues to offer that grace. He continues to offer the good news continues to call us into that. And so I want us to be thinking about that. I want us to be living this out. I want us to be sharing this. Even if people's hearts are hard around us, we keep believing in what he said. We keep making the same offer because Jesus made that offer. Come. Come and believe. Come and have eternal life. Jesus continues to offer grace despite unbelief. Would you all pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. We are thankful. Lord, thankful for the reminder this morning. Even when things 
just don't seem like they're going the right way. Even when we see people we love and care about, just seems like they're just hard, stone-hearted. Lord, we know that you, you can make the way. You can break that heart of stone. You can replace it with a heart of flesh. You can bring life out of death. You can move them into your light from that darkness. And Lord, help us to stay away from the darkness, that, that sin wouldn't enter in and cause us to be calloused. Lord, we, we thank you for the mercy and grace that you have given us. Jesus, thank you for coming so that we would hear your message, that we would be saved. And for the great hope we have as we share that gospel message with others, that they would taste and see that you are good. They would believe that you are the king. They would submit and they would follow you, Lord. We love you. It is in the name of our Christ that we pray. Amen.